Welcome to the Red-Headed Preacher podcast. My name is Richard Lanford. I am the Red-Headed Preacher of St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie, Illinois. Today's message for January 17th, 2021 is called Samuel and Nathaniel 2021. And it is based on scriptures of 1st Samuel chapter 3 verses 1 through 10 and John chapter 1 verses 43 through 51 there is an extra reading from 1st Corinthians 6 which our lector Dan Gunther lifts up the sermon does not touch on those in this case so thank you for tuning in May God bless your listening and your thinking afterwards about what you hear. It was a blessing to me to be able to preach this message and to share it with you through our podcast. And so, Dan, you're next. Our first reading is from 1 Samuel, chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Samuel has been brought to the priest Eli grow up as a servant of the Lord. This is the same Samuel who will, as an adult, anoint both Saul and David as king over Israel. Many times the tidings that prophets bring are not good news, and Samuel will find this out right away. But first, the Lord must reveal himself to Samuel and call him to be a prophet. Samuel was administering to the Lord under Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his room. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called, Samuel, Samuel, and he said, here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called again, Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel again a third time, and he got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, call me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for you are ser- for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. This ends the reading from 1 Samuel. Our epistle reading today is from Paul's letter to the church of Corinth, chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. Evidently, some of the church members in this Greek city thought that since they were free from having to obey the law to be forgiven, they could pretty much do whatever they wanted as long as it did not harm anyone. 
That included visiting prostitutes who worked at the temples of foreign gods. The Corinthians even had some phrases to justify giving in to their desires, like, all things are lawful for me, and food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, which Paul will toss back at them in his reply. Paul wrote, all things are lawful to me, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both, one and the other. The body is meant not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord, and will also rise us, raise us by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Should I therefore take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that whoever is united to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is said, the two shall be one flesh. But anyone united to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Shun fornication. Every sin that a person commits is outside the body, but the fornicator sins against the body itself. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you were brought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. This ends the reading from 1 Corinthians. Gospel reading for this morning is John chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. Jesus is just getting his ministry underway. The day before this, he met Andrew and Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said to him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, Where do you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Here ends the reading of the Gospel and our scriptures for this morning's service. May God grant us a wise and generous understanding of this, God's holy word. Samuel and Nathaniel. Both lived thousands of years ago. In these historic times, 
of upheaval, fear, anger, and change. What do they have to say to you, me, and the church, if not for this country in 2021? Samuel is one of the grand figures of the Hebrew scriptures. After many prayers and priest Eli's blessing, Mother Hannah gave birth to Samuel. She later gave the boy, whom the Lord gave her, back to the Lord in service at Shiloh. We heard Dan read the story. We learned that, quote, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. That's important. Significant, too, is the eventual perception of Eli that it is God who is repeatedly calling Samuel. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go, lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Now the Lord came and stood there, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Samuel was willing to do what Eli told him. He was willing to say he was a servant to whomever it was calling his name. He offered himself to listen. For a lot of us, listening can be work. First, there is the willingness to listen at all. There is no talk to the hand or la 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 going on. None of that. But to go beyond hearing and truly listen is a service to the other. We have to make what they are saying and how they're saying it our priority at that time, and not what we're just doing, or watching, or thinking, unless it really does supersede, and you have to say, shh. So, you know, that's what a prophet needs to do, and what a prophetic church needs to do, listen, and set one's own agenda aside. Listening to and for God is not an automatic skill. 1 John talks about discerning the spirits to see if they are of God. 1 John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. It is our calling to discern the spirits, or the Holy Spirit. Then we can have some assurance our prophets, or we, are speaking from God. Now much, much more could and should be said on this subject. I don't have time for that. But we have to be very careful in discernment. Praying for that gift is how that begins. I do believe that if we truly listen and not fill in the blanks of silence over a prolonged period of time with our will and convince ourselves that it's God's will, God does speak to God's servants. 
And when God speaks to God's servants, who are also God's prophets like Samuel, the prophets are not only to listen and listen well, but to speak truth to the people. Samuel listened, and that's what he did. There is an article I found on a post by my friend, the Reverend Bruce Gillette, called Three Ways the Church Can Respond to the Capitol Building Riot, written by Tom Furst. I'm sharing part of it now. The first way of the three ways given is tell the truth in a society that lives in illusion. It's for a prophetic church. He begins, One of my favorite writers, Walter Brueggemann, says the prophetic tasks of the church are to tell the truth in a society that lives in illusion, grieve in a society that practices denial, and express hope in a society that lives in despair. That's the end of the quote from Dr. Brueggemann. Fierce continues, The violent rushing of the Capitol building, January 6th, brought me back to this quote again and again. Many of, our, many of us are asking right now, what can we do? What we can do? I offer Brueggemann's quote as a starting point. Tell the truth in a society that lives in illusion. We live in a self-described post-truth society. We huddle together in like-minded packs, seek mutually reinforcing opinions, and read only media sources that agree with our partisan agendas. Yet we fail to see that this is exactly what drove the Capitol riots last week. Conspiracy theory thinking promoted by QAnon, certain government officials, and media personalities rejects any truth that does not fit their predetermined narratives. He continues, the church should soundly reject such thinking. The church's job is to see and label the illusions under which we live. The church's job is to remove the facade and shatter the illusion. This means that we can be owned by neither left nor right media sources. We should be controlled by no partisan narratives. We must question the propaganda of politicians and media power brokers. To tell the truth, the church must be more devoted to the truth than to the illusion. This means, then, he says, that the church must invest itself in difficult, sacred conversation. I know social media arguments can get out of hand. I also know we do not want to upset the apple cart at Thanksgiving dinner and become estranged from our family and friends. However, telling the truth in difficult, sacred conversation is our only way out of it. The people we love, the people in our families, and the people in our own political parties are living under an illusion that is literally threatening the integrity of our national democracy. Their illusion risks their own lives and the lives of people they love. Someone must love them enough to have the difficult, sacred conversation. 
Someone must, someone must love them enough to tell them the truth and hold them accountable, understanding that such truth, as I touched on speaking as Richard right now, such uh, sacred truths and conversations must include the racial discrimination dynamic that is part of this illusion. I touched on that last week. Let's go back to Tom first. He continues. I am not, of course, advocating for arguing with everyone you meet. A sacred conversation recognizes the, human recognizes the humanity and dignity of even those who espouse conspiracies. Nevertheless, sacred conversation assumes that conversation will be difficult and, at times, cost us something. The world is not transformed in holy love without difficult, sacred conversation. The church's job is to tell the truth in a society that lives in illusion. Are we yet brave enough? What else must happen before we find our voice? He then lists these action items. Choose and cite only reliable fact-check sources. Do not share articles you have not read. Actively reflect on how your own partisanship hurts your ability to see the full truth. Engage in difficult, sacred conversation with family members and loved ones. Affirm the humanity of your family and friends, while also drawing boundaries that protect you and your loved ones from their behavior and beliefs. You can write letters to members of Congress to ask them to denounce and hold accountable those who were involved in the Capitol riot, end quote. And that was written January 13th. Disciples and prophets listen to what God says. We are called to tell the truth. There might be a catch in all this. It is found in Nathaniel. Philip found in Nathaniel and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, that Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. I said that Samuel was willing to do it, Eli. Then God told him. Willingness is a key part of answering God's call. Willingness is a key part of coming to Jesus and growing spiritually. Willingness can be like a key that unlocks a door into a new world. This is Nathaniel's willingness. He had a negative attitude about Nazareth and anyone from there. Anyone watching able to relate to that? I knew a guy, his name was Lee. He was good friends with my brother Tommy. And Lee had had such bad experiences in Chicago. He would said he would never go back. There was fear there. What if Nathaniel's prejudice was not mild and in jest? Yet he was willing, he was willing to let go of his prejudgment and, as Philip urged him to do, come and see. 
He went beyond his bigotry toward to check out this Jesus. And once he got there, he was better able to listen to the voices of God, listen to Christ. He was able to encounter Jesus and ultimately confess him as the Son of God and King of Israel. A willingness to go beyond some of our preconceived notions or our actual past experiences seems like something a lot of our world would benefit from. And if we'd benefit from it, expanding the depth of our ability to bless others, I believe the God of love and community would be speaking through that. The spirit of Reverend Dr. King would be moving then, too. The call of a prophet who listens and the willingness of a Christian like Nathaniel enable you and me to not only tell the truth in a society that lives in illusion, they also, as Tom Furst wrote, allow us, the church, to express hope in a society that lives in despair. Again, quoting him, I admit that in this moment of our nation's history, I sometimes lean more toward despair than hope. I have often thought there is no hope for our divided nation. I have said I wouldn't even know where to begin the healing process. Still, despite this, I also recognize that Christian hope exists precisely in moments where we don't see a silver lining or the sun coming up over the horizon. Christian hope always exists in a world where the potential for despair is real. It exists precisely for the moment when everyone else has lost hope, has lost hope, and succumbs to despair. Moments of despair, he writes, moments of despair are where the church's hope shines the brightest. To give in to despair is to re-choose the illusion. Despair says no one can save us and no one can make things better. The truth of Jesus, however, is that God has placed the church in the world, as Esther was told, for just such a time as this. For such a time as this. We are here to tell the truth in a world of illusion, and we are here to model grief grieving in a world of denial. And we are here to tell people that it does not have to be this way. Jesus offers a better way. The church can live that better way now. That is our hope, he says. Action items. Ask yourself, where have you given in to cynicism and lost hope? Ask yourself, how does the resurrection of Jesus fit into your thinking about America's current political situation? Remember that hope can only be offered within the context of truth-telling and grief. Put yourself in a position to learn gospel hope by speaking hard truths and intentionally engaging difficult sacred conversation. Remember, 
Even when you do not have hope or do not know what to pray, Paul tells us that's precisely when the Holy Spirit prays with and for us. That's in Romans. Continue to invest in and support local organizations that are making your city a better place for everyone. We cannot always act on a national scale, but we can always begin by living out our hopes at home. Friends, he concludes, we live in a difficult season in our nation's history. But let us be a people of the truth. Let us be a people willing to grieve. And let us be a people who will boldly hold to a hope when everyone else is in despair. End quote. Samuel models for us the importance of listening, really listening for God and to God. Pray for a spirit of discernment. Listen. Speak the truth in love, as Paul exhorts in Ephesians. Speak the truth in love, and like Martin Luther King Jr. did. Nathaniel models for us the willingness, the willingness to get out of our comfort zones and test our prejudices, if that's what's needed, to push ourselves to find and see that they're, they see if they're wrong. Be willing and put that key in that door that it will open to something that's needed to take another step towards hope. Be willing, and we may end up meeting Jesus afresh and become a firmer follower the rest of our days. Let us shine our hope into the charcoal gray chaos that threatens. I think we have to be willing to listen, speak truth to illusion, and hope to despair. Because if we, the people of the resurrection, are not even willing, what are the odds for positive change? Samuel and Nathaniel speak to us in 2021. Amen. I hope that Samuel and Nathaniel will give you and yours something to pray about and think about as we all navigate these different and sometimes frightening waters of January 2021 and the time that is before us, whatever it brings, in faith, may we all find our way to Shalom, the realm of God. Thank you for listening. God bless you for this week, for your week, and for the week that is before us. Amen.